Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Well, if there was ever a matchup that was tailor made for Pac 12 after dark, it's Stanford versus Oregon, right? I mean, crazy things have happened between the Cardinal and the Ducks over the years. Well, what needs to happen for Stanford to get a much-needed win this week? If you're interested to the answers to that question, oh, man, you've come to the right place. It's the TreeCast with Troy Clarity, presented by Bet Online and right here on the Believe Network. Great to have you with us Thursday, September 29th, 2022. Hello, how you doing? I'm Troy Clarity. Thanks for being with us here on another episode of the show the TreeCast owns Stanford Athletics coverage in the podcast space. Been doing it since 2015. Don't plan on stopping anytime soon. Proof? Okay. Stick around. We are going to catch up with a couple of special guests to help preview Stanford's game at Oregon coming up this week. An 8 p.m. kickoff, by the way, up in Eugene. Patrick Fields, transfer from Oklahoma, a grad student. Now making plays for the Stanford secondary. He's seen the Oregon Ducks before. We'll get his thoughts on that. And plus, what the Stanford defense needs to do to settle down and start striking back against opponents, not just this week, but going forward. And later in the show, we'll also be joined by our special guest. You hear him all the time on Pac-12 Radio on Sirius XM 373. And he can certainly take you inside the trenches with the best of them former Oregon Duck, Jeff Schwartz. Looking forward to getting his thoughts. Yeah, he's he's an Oregon alum, <laughs> so I'm sure he's going to be rather passionate about uh, his Ducks and their doings. Boy, what a big win for Oregon up at Washington State last week, eh? But uh, Jeff Schwartz and Patrick Fields are two special guests. Looking forward to uh, talking Stanford football with Patrick and Stanford versus Oregon and the Pac-12 overall with Jeff. I'm Troy Clarity. This is my 30th year of following Stanford football, my ninth year of Pac-12 network play-by-play, and also Compass Media Network's college football play-by-play on the national radio side. That uh, part of my season begins very, very soon. Looking forward to that. The TreeCast, of course, is found wherever you get your favorite podcasts, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, Tune in, no matter which way you want to go, iHeart, your favorite podcasts, wherever you find them, you will find the TreeCast. Well, we thought that Stanford might be getting running back EJ Smith back this week. Banged up against USC, did not play last week against Washington. We thought that the, that the hope was that EJ would be available for this week's game at Oregon. Instead, we got this news from David Shaw as he led off his Tuesday press conference. EJ Smith um, will be out uh, for the rest of the year. Um, you know, it's injury related. Um, not going to go into any detail. Uh, I know it's really um, disappointing for him, um, disappointing for the whole team. Yeah, certainly very disappointing on so many different levels. We will get into that in just a few moments or so. Uh, EJ Smith, the only long-term injury announced this week for Stanford, but a couple of other potentially short-term injuries that bear watching this week as well. We'll get to that in a moment. First, this reminder that Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first-to-market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, 
NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in game betting, props, and futures. So head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use the promo code BELIEVE50, that's B L E A V 50, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. Where we start on the TreeCast is usually with three things you need to know. And in this case, there are three things you need to know about Stanford versus Oregon. Let's begin with number one. Well, you heard David Shaw say it and announce it. EJ Smith is indeed out for the year. On Tuesday, I asked Stanford wide receiver Michael Wilson for his reaction to the news. It's definitely really, really upsetting. Um, I know EJ worked really, really hard this offseason. Um, to build his his body up, um, so I feel for him. I know what it feels like to have a season ending season ending injury, and we've had a lot of those that have come uh, since I've been here in my time. So I know the the stress it can take, not only on himself and you personally, but on your family and all the people who have who have invested in you. And I'm sure uh, his family and he were both really really excited for how the season was going for him personally through the first two games. So to have those news hit is probably um, really, really devastating for him and his family. So I, I feel for him um, so, so much. Well said, as usual, by Michael on the human aspect of this. Uh, from a football perspective, uh, that obviously means that Casey Bilkins takes over feature back roles in his entirety. We talked with Casey last week. I certainly encourage you to go back and listen to that entire chat. Certainly well worth your while. But of course, you'll also see Caleb Robinson and Brendan Barrow in reserve. E.J. Smith, the guy, a running back, whom you can also line up out wide in the slot, get him in space, and make plays that way. David Shaw on how Smith's absence changes Stanford's playbook. Uh, it doesn't change the playbook. Um, it just gives other guys more opportunities. Um, Casey Filkins came in, had 100 yards on 20 carries, caught the ball well out of the backfield, did a good job of pass protection. You know, we put a couple of backs in there. Um, but I think for the now the longevity of the season, we're going to have to play minimum three backs um, just to keep everybody healthy. Um, but Casey's going to be the lead dog there. He's earned that. He deserves that. Yeah, it probably doesn't change a whole lot of things because Casey Philkins can also do those things and bring that skill set to Stanford football. Now, what might have a bigger impact on the playbook for this week at Oregon are the other injuries that David Shaw mentioned on Tuesday. Left tackle Walter Rouse, who got hurt last week, Right tackle Miles Hinton, who missed the game last week entirely, and fullback Jay Simmons are all questionable this week at Oregon. None of this clearly is ideal. Let's move on to number two. And I feel like a broken record when I mention the turnovers, but it's been such a big part of the story so far for Stanford. Cardinal with 11 turnovers lost in the last three games and just one turnover gained this season. That's a minus 10 turnover margin, folks. A bounce of the ball here, tip of the ball there, and maybe things look a little better in that category. I asked David Shaw how many of Stanford's 11 turnovers were truly correctable and how many were just bad bounces. Oh, uh, well, I'm a football coach, so I think they're all correctable. Um, I think you can play turnover-free football. Um, part of it is, is protecting the quarterback in the pocket. You know, both him being where he's supposed to be and, and keeping him clean around the pocket. Another part is, um, hey, you know, got to run the routes the right way. And, and uh, you know, Casey was kind of stumbled coming out of that cut. And, you know, you got to make that play. 
Um, you got to catch it. You're going down or not, you got to catch it. Can't serve it up for the uh, for the defense. Um, you know, balls deflect off fingers all the time, and um, you know we, we either got to knock it down for on offense. We got we got to take it when we're on defense. Um, so, as you said, the, the ball the ball hasn't bounced our way necessarily, but that's also a lot to do with us. And sometimes you gotta you gotta be in the right place, doing the right things. Um, to keep the ball from being turned over and then also to create turnovers. Yeah, and I'm glad Sean mentioned the defense's culpability here too. I looked at the turnover numbers among FBS teams this week and I was actually kind of surprised by what I saw. There is actually one team that still hasn't forced a turnover so far this season. Fresno State, no turnovers forced. Then again, they've totally turned it over themselves twice this year. So it's probably not as big of a deal as it is for Stanford only having forced one. Uh, one other team besides Stanford and FBS has forced just one turnover so far this year. Notre Dame. Now oh, that's surprising too. Let's wrap up three things with number three. And man, strange things tend to happen when Stanford and Oregon meet. Last year's finish, of course, an all-timer. Stanford scoring at the end of regulation and winning in overtime. Uh, Ducks were a top-five ranked team at that point. The 2018 result up at Autzen was as well. You could even go back to that 2015 thriller at Stanford Stadium, which Oregon came away with that one. The 2012 defensive slugfest and the 2010 Battle of Titans. Heck, I, I could even go back to that 1995 game between Stanford and Oregon if you want me to. Man, that was a, that was a fun plane right back in the day. Some incredible moments between the Cardinal and the Ducks over the years. Stanford wide receiver Michael Wilson sums up the recent history. I'm two and two in my career against Oregon. Um, two crazy wins against them. Um, and then two pretty upsetting losses. So definitely have confidence going into this game. I feel like we always play Oregon tight no matter who's up, who's down, whether we're a better team, better team going in or they're a higher ranked team going in. It's always gonna be uh, a tough matchup and, and both teams got to scrap to win the game. So. I'm excited going in. Yeah, he's excited. I'm sure David Shaw is too. Crazy games, crazy endings. Um, but it's about two really good football teams, you know, playing over a period of time and being pretty equally balanced and fighting them all the way to the end. And as we know, turnovers make make a make a, an influence on the outcome of the game, as do big plays. And you know, more often than not, we've been on the positive side of those against Oregon. Um, you know, it's, it's up to us to, to, to force that trend to continue. Um, but last year, you know, it was last year. They got different staff, got different personnel playing. Um, this is going to be an exciting game. Um, it's going to be a, a late night game in the Northwest um, with uh, two teams that are thirsty for a victory. Well, there you have it. Sean says this thing is going to hinge, as it usually does, on turnovers and big plays. Those, of course, just happen to be two things that have not gone Stanford's way yet this season. Boy, it would be nice to see that turn around in Eugene. Those are three things. Two special guests on this week's TreeCast. We'll talk to Jeff Schwartz from Pac-12 Radio on Sirius XM 373 and Fox Sports and his podcast, Jeff Schwartz is Smarter Than You. Uh, that's a pretty cool name for a podcast. Maybe I should have named this one Troy Clarity is Smarter Than You. It wouldn't be true, but, you know, it's still still a pretty, pretty neat little title. We'll get his thoughts up and down the Pac-12, and since he's an old duck himself, 
his thoughts on how Oregon has fared to this point this season and what sorts of things that uh, Oregon might have up its sleeve when they face Stanford on Saturday night. So Jeff Schwartz later on in the show. But right now, let's get to our first special guest of the program. And one of the more intriguing players, I thought, coming into the roster on this 2022 season for Stanford. Look, the, the grad transfer portal and the transfer portal overall isn't something that Stanford is necessarily going to gain players from, not necessarily a reliable way to build a roster. But Stanford can certainly grab its share of guys, and they got one in Patrick Fields, the uh, safety and defensive back from the University of Oklahoma, originally from Tulsa, Went to Tulsa Union High School. That's a powerhouse in that state. I'm a Sooner State native myself, so I kind of know how these things work. And again, Midwest City, my high school, my alma mater, they weren't too bad either. But uh, Patrick Fields did terrific things both on and off the field during his time at OU. And now he's looking to do the same here at Stanford. And wait a minute, even though he's played for Oregon, or for Oklahoma rather, the past three plus years, and now this is his first year at Stanford, He's already faced the Oregon Ducks before, quite recently. We get into that and more with Patrick Fields, the grad transfer, and uh, safety and nickelback for the Stanford Cardinal, our first special guest on the TreeCast for this week. Patrick and I caught up after Wednesday evening's rather chilly practice down on the farm, and I asked Patrick for his overall snapshot of the defense heading into this week's matchup up in Eugene. For the most part, what we've seen so far, guys are playing hard, the effort's there. And I think, you know, whenever we cut on the plays and, and we're everybody's doing our job, all 11 are, are locking into their assignment, you know, we're playing very, very sound football. We're covering really good receivers. Even against the Washington team last week, um, you know, their receivers made some some competitive catches, but I think Going for, going forward, moving forward, our goal is to is to play you know sound sound disciplined football every single snap and make guys beat us. You know if 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 somebody's going to score a touchdown, it has to be one of the crazy, you know back shoulder passes, one of the ones you kind of just got to tip your hat to. But I think um, everybody's confident going into this week. I think there's a tre- tremendous talent on on the football field on both offense and defense, and you know we're just searching for playing our best game in our in, you know Stanford football. Now, I'll get your further thoughts on the matchup here in a moment or so, but uh, let's talk about you for a moment right here. Your first year in the program, your first year meeting the guys, your first year in this scheme, your first year getting it all down. What's it yeah. been like for you adjusting and acclimating to Stanford on and off the field? Man, I think it, it, it's been such a blessing because, you know, whenever you come here, the, the thing that people always talk about is the people here. And I think uh, my experience has, has been nothing short of the great people around here, whether it's, <laughs> whether it's you know, guys helping me out off the field, making sure I have everything I need when I'm moving in and transitioning, or, you know, whether it's in the film room, you know, guys just staying after football practice, after classes, after meetings, you know, stay until, you know, 9, 10 o'clock at night to watch film so we can really be the best that we can. I think the people here have made this experience, you know, ridiculous from ridiculously good for me and I think uh, from the football standpoint just being under the great leadership of, of you know coach Shaw coach Akin and some of the most brilliant football minds the well-respected football minds you know both at the NFL and college level they've done so much in terms of helping me excel my game from a conceptual standpoint breaking down offenses um, understanding spacing route concepts um, gap schemes everything of that sort so I can't say enough about you know coach Shaw you know coach Akina coach Anderson all those guys on staff and how how brilliant uh, they are from a football IQ standpoint. 
Of course, one of the big subplots for Stanford, unfortunately, this year has been turnovers. Too yeah. many committed by the offense and just one so far gained uh, by the defense. What are some things, some specifics that, that the squad is working on on the defensive side of the ball to, to maybe get a bit more of a, a, a bounce of the ball heading in their direction and getting turnovers? Yeah, I think uh, so. So Coach uh, Eric Sanders, he, he set a goal for us to create in three to five turnovers every single day in practice. So our, our goal every single day is to go out and get three to five turn and obviously exceed that see that goal because it's practice so every single day in seven on seven we're, we're fighting to get our hands to the ball fighting to you know whether get a tip drill or it's standing up the ball carrying a hole grabbing a leg um, and then guys coming in ripping at the ball raking at the ball and I think that's what we've been focusing on for two weeks and it's a little bit we even you know last week against Washington I think one, one of the practices we had 21 takeaways over the course of all of our plays um, and I think for, for us we have to trust our technique, trust our practice, trust what we work on. You know, sometimes in the game of football, the, the dice may not roll in your favor, but we're going to keep our, our our biggest thing is just keep on focusing on our process, ensuring we're fighting for those takeaways and practice. And, you know, at some point they're going to show up on game day for us. As a member of the secondary, there are so many things that you have to keep in mind from play to play. I'm sure assignments change and all sorts of other things. Uh, you're playing safety sometimes. You're playing nickelback much of the time, it seems. You know, just take me through all the things that you have to keep tabs of on a game-to-game -game basis. Yeah, oh, gosh, it, it's a lot. But I think the, the way Coach Akina coaches the game of football is very, very brilliant in the sense that he teaches us concepts as opposed to kind of just – saying, hey, this is your job and only do your job. So I think everybody in the secondary, we have a good understanding of how the defense as a whole works together, how this, the, the gap schemes with the D-line plays, plays a part with the linebackers and then ultimately plays a part with us safeties and, and nickel and overhanging players coming from the second level. So because Coach Akina coaches um, the game of football from that standpoint, moving around the secondary isn't as difficult. You know, it may it may take a, a, a 10, 10 minute extra meeting with one of the guys to help, you know, maybe refresh you on some of the game specific things. But Coach Kenan does such a great job of making sure all of us are sharp um, in the secondary room. Even if you were to, you know, go talk to one of the freshmen who just got here and, you know, you were to put them on the, on the drawing board, you would be wowed and amazed by how brilliant um, a lot of the guys are. And that has a big part to do with Coach Kenan and, and, and how good he is as a coach. And obviously his resume speaks for itself in terms of what he's accomplished in producing Thorpe winners multiple uh, first-round picks. So there's a reason for it. And, and you know, in, in the secondary room, you, you see it in the conceptual side. You've done impressive stuff on the field with Oklahoma, and you've done impressive stuff off the field um, as well. Financial literacy uh, yeah. seminars with for, for student athletes, uh, getting scholarships to, uh, to low-income students, all those sorts of things. How important is that to you to be able to participate and to, and to spearhead those things? And how much have you been able to do that since you've come to the farm? Yeah, I think um, that that's kind of, you know, what I live for. And, and, and it's crazy because I was talking to somebody today and, and they, you know, just said, hey, man, by the way you talk, it seems like you have a, a huge passion um, and social, social, you know, economic impact. And it's crazy because sometimes, a lot of times I think of myself maybe as like a football player or specifically as a student athlete right now trying to juggle academics and, and football and, you know, my prospective career. And I kind of I kind of forget, like, how much of a strong passion I have for that, which which sounds maybe crazy. But, um, yeah, I think it obviously it's just something that's near and dear to my heart. And since I've come here, I've been exposed to so many more greater resources. I think 
you know, being at Stanford, you have you have the the world leaders in whatever it is, whether it's sustainability, um, fi the finance sector, venture capital, tech, whatever it is. So coming here, I've learned so many. I've learned how to really, you know, make a career out of these things, and you know, impact investing is something I've I've grown very very fond of, and I'm looking deeply into um, in terms of raising a fund and and um, you know allocating that money into into things that can impact education, uh, education system, things of all that sort. So. Um, um, I think coming here is just advanced what I what I, my plans for the future out of uh, I don't know way way more than I thought could have ever thought was possible. So so class has started this week. What's on the course load uh, for this quarter? This this class this quarter isn't too bad. I, I loaded up in the spring, so mm -hmm. I only got um, two main classes in the seminar. I got entre global entrepreneurial marketing, and I got an organizational behavior class. Right. So teaching about management leadership. I think my main class when I was here way back in the day was NHL 95 on Super Nintendo. <laughs> I probably just completely dated myself there a little bit. Let's talk about Oregon. Yeah. And, and this is a team that you saw recently. In right, fact, right, that right. was your, your last game played for the Sooners uh, in the Alamo Bowl. You were the defensive MVP of that game, and then you loaded the car, and then you headed up west right after that. Your impressions of how different or maybe how similar that Ducks offensive scheme is from last year to this, obviously with a new coach, new quarterback, yeah. and all those sorts of things. How different, how similar are the Ducks from last year to this year? I think um, scheme, scheme is maybe a little bit maybe a little bit different with the offensive coordinator because, you know, he has his own personal style and flares. But I think the concepts across football tend to be, you know, fairly similar. It's just how they get to them out of different looks and out of different personnel. But I think Oregon historically, what you always see with them is as dynamic players, and I think dating all the way back to like Michael James and 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 those type of guys, Oregon and, and when Brian Kelly was there, Oregon is known for just producing dynamic players, and I think that's what you see with their running backs. They have guys who are dangerous, can can make you miss in space, um, and then you know the same thing with their receivers. So I think we're expecting nothing short of that. Um, and then Oregon's been a great a great program over the last you know decade and a half maybe. So. Um, Expecting them to come out and be a dominant team, but all that being said, um, we, we've done a lot of a lot of work on our part in terms of really breaking down what they do from a conceptual standpoint, um, looking to find the the tips, the tendencies that they maybe give away with alignments and splits, um, even even the tendencies of, of maybe the tight ends and what it means when their hands are on their hips as opposed to hands on the ground. All those little things we've been working on, you know, breaking it apart. So we feel like whenever we go into the game, we're gonna have pretty good tips and indicators of what to expect from them. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we're ready to strap it up. We know they're going to come with it. They're dynamic. Um, but Coach Alomar, he pointed out a stat last time they, they took a loss at home was 2018. And mm -hmm. so no, no other than, than, you know, the Stanford Cardinals. So we're, we're going up there, you know, trying to make a statement, um, capture momentum. Yeah, big wins for Stanford up there over the years. 2018 comes yeah. to mind, 2012. I go yeah. back to 1995. That's how yeah. far I go back. <laughs> really quickly as we wrap this up, your quick keys to this one. What Stanford's going to have to do uh, to, get away, to, to get the win and fly home happy late in the middle of Saturday night? I think defensively, our number one goal is to create turnovers, capture momentum. Offensively, we got to um, – Take care, take care of the ball, and I think always, you know, what you see in the game of football is who can own the trenches, who can own, own and dominate the run game, and then I think defensively, you know, limit explosive plays, force guys to run offense, uh, twelve play offense to go all the way down the field, um, and then I think my last key is to to don't think so much, cut it loose for us, you know, believe in everything that we do, 
believe in in the offseason, Coach Carroll and all the work that he put into the training program, Coach Shaw and him developing us as leaders, really have that that trust and belief that we are who we say we are and we are who we think we are and, and you know, put it on tape and show us to the world. Should be fun. Looking forward to it. He went to Tulsa Union High School. That's okay. Not everyone can be a Midwest City bomber, but I think Patrick Fields has done quite well for himself. Patrick, thanks a bunch. Appreciate the time. Best of luck. Thanks for representing the state of Oklahoma and Stanford to the best of your ability so far. Can't wait to see what you and the card do this Saturday against the Ducks and going forward. Appreciate your time. Appreciate you. Yeah, really good stuff from Patrick Fields. Uh, really impressive uh, young man in a lot of uh, different facets. And uh, he brought up uh, the fact that the coaches. Uh, mentioned that uh, Oregon's last loss at home was to Stanford four years ago. Stanford's last win over an FBS opponent was also one year ago against Oregon. So, look, past performance obviously doesn't guarantee future results, but certainly Stanford with some history on its side when it comes to Eugene. But, uh, you know, great to hear Patrick's thoughts and interested to get his thoughts on some of the things happening defensively. And look, it's a young defense, especially up front. Really, the only remedy there is to get more experienced, right? Learn more, you know, find ways to get more physical during the season, probably get stronger during the offseason, especially for the much younger guys. I, I wouldn't mind seeing a more aggressive approach, which we saw at points by the Stanford defense, especially in the second half when Lance Anderson started to bring up some blitzers and started to commit more guys to the line of scrimmage and get them into the backfield against Michael Penix and that Husky crew. So we saw it at times in the second half last year. If that became more of a thing, especially earlier in the game, I wouldn't be mad at that at all. And you've heard me say this, and look, I, I think Patrick has a, a fantastically bright future on the field and off the field. If he wants to consider uh, continue playing ball um, after his eligibility is exhausted, I think he's certainly got a bright future there and certainly off the field as well. Uh, I've, 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 you've heard me say this before about, about players, and especially specifically Stanford guys like Andrew Luck um, in particular, uh, Branson Bragg, who was at practice. He wasn't dressed, obviously, because he's retired, but he's still participating and still being a part of the team and being around the guys. Obviously not full-on practicing or anything like that, but uh, uh, it, was, it, was, it was good to good to see him amongst uh, the rest of his teammates and uh, offering, I'm sure, whatever uh, help he can possibly offer. So Branson Bragg appears to be in that category. But Patrick Fields, too. Football needs Patrick Fields a heck of a lot more and Patrick Fields needs football. Really excited to see what that guy can do, both on and off the field going forward, even if he did go to Tulsa Union. That's okay. Again, not all of us can be Midwest City Bombers. Well, later on in the show, I'll give you some of my initial thoughts heading into this game between the Cardinal and the Ducks. But first, I need to get an expert's opinion and few better to call on, especially this week than a guy who's played in the trenches, former NFL offensive lineman played for the Oregon ducks himself won all pack 10 honors back in 2007. And you hear him a lot as a co-host of pack 12 today on pack 12 radio on Sirius XM 373. And you see him as well on Fox sports. He's everywhere. But right now he's here on the tree cast. Jeff Schwartz joining us. Jeff, thanks a bunch. Appreciate the time. How you doing? I'm glad to be here. Talk a little, a little Stanford football team that um, 
no matter what the point spread is, no matter the stakes, Stanford just stabs us right in the heart as much as possible. So uh, I'm looking forward to discussing this game with you and the rest of the Pac-12 conference. Yeah, this this series has seen some nutty, nutty stuff, not just going back the past, you know, five years, but 10 years and even 15 years or so. We'll get into that a bit later on, but certainly some nutty stuff for the Oregon Ducks up in Pullman over the weekend, down by 12 with four minutes to go take the lead with a minute 20 left, get a pick six with a minute one to go before the Cougs get a a late touchdown to make it a 44-41 final. How in the heck did the Oregon Ducks win that one? Well, for years, we had lost that game. And uh, for years, and, you know, we saw even last year at Stanford, like that's a game we we lost, we lose. And we won for once. Um, And so that was nice to be on the, the winning side of that. Look, we played well. Uh, we just didn't finish in the red zone early in the game, right? I mean, we had 600 yards on offense, and I think the first four red zone possessions ended up being three field goals and that pick six that Bo Nix threw. So it wasn't very good. And, and what I liked about our coaching staff so far this season, we've seen they're able to make adjustments, right? And the adjustment in the second half was we're not going to run that offense that we're basically afraid of Bo Nix making mistakes in the red zone, which is what that was in the first half. And I like the adjustment. They let Bo Nix do what he has to do. And we move the ball much better in the second half. So good adjustments there. And look defensively, and we'll talk more specifically for this game, probably, but Washington state had four explosive pass plays, right? That typically is how you get beaten, right? You don't, you know, digging, ducking down the field is not where you score 40 points. Uh, and there were four, there were three trick plays. It was a flea flicker. It was a uh, that that um that quick snap they did, which is a pretty nifty thing they did. Mm-hmm. A double reverse screen, and that final play you mentioned, the late touchdown score, which was a deep bomb that we actually made a great play on. We we knocked the ball out, it popped up in the air, and the guy caught it. That's it. So like our defense I think is better than the numbers, but still we do some things that really just irritate you as a fan. So I'm glad we came back in that game. I think it showed a lot for first year coach and Dan Lang to get our team uh, and make the adjustment to never quit. Right. You, you, you never, and this thing about college football, that's different than a, lot, than a lot of other sports is that clock, man, because the way the clock stops, comebacks can happen much easier than any other sport. And they often do in college football. Yeah, and I thought the Ducks made a critical defensive stand uh, when they are up by, what, three points or so to give the ball back yeah. uh, to the Ducks and and, and, and give Bo Nix and, and Oregon a chance to take the lead in that one. Um, it, it's amazing. One of the other great things about college football is that every weekend is a chance to overreact. And when yeah. your team loses, the sky is falling and people's jobs are in question and, and all those sorts of things. People were putting the giving up the ducks and leaving them for dead after that week one result down yeah. in Atlanta, that neutral site game against Georgia. How were you feeling about things after that result in Georgia or against well, Georgia? I, I was I was at that game. Um, it wasn't very fun. My kids had a good time, which actually, you know, okay, fine. Like I'm glad they had a fun time, but I was sitting there. <laughs> my it was so cute, man. My son's eight, and I was thinking it was 35 to three, and he turns to me and goes, Dad. I don't think Oregon's going to win this one. <laughs> what, 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 what gives it away, son? Um, you know, uh, a lot of things went wrong in that game. And, you know, I think being a former player, I understand that it takes time sometimes with a new staff. And, and my judgment from that game was that, yeah, it all sucked. Like, it just was bad. Um, they were out coached. You know, they prepared for one thing. And Georgia did, I think, the exact opposite of offense. And we just didn't look like we belonged. And with the talent we have on our team, we should have played better. We didn't. 
But again, I think the adjustments have been made and we've seen us play a lot better against Eastern Washington, BYU, and, and now Wazoo. And I feel like that game, that Georgia game, you know, it lingers over all the stats, right? Like if you look at all the numbers, they all include that game. But that feels like far from where our team even is. And I think offensively, even in the Georgia game, like we moved the ball. We just didn't finish drives because of turnovers. Like we were fine. We, we didn't give up. We've yet to allow a sack all season uh, up front. Um, so like we moved the ball fine. It just was those moments where Bo Nix played bad. So to me, um, again, early season, that's a, and, and the funny part about all this too, Troy, is that let's say we start with Georgia State, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, Georgia, we'd be ranked fifth in the country right now, <laughs> which is kind of silly, a little high, I think, you know, but fifth, right? Because we were ahead of USC and we would have been 4 0. And we would have won, we'd be five in the country, which is, I think, it's, we're not the fifth best team in the country. Just kind of tell you, like, the, the way the rankings are, right? Like, it's insane that we would be ranked that high. I feel like we're ranked about where we are right now in the country. So just throw that game out. I mean, really, to me, it has no bearing. Um, unless Stanford has Georgia's talent, it's, there's no reason to even consider that game as anything that we can look forward to on Saturday nights. Uh, I'm sure I'm, I'm not sure some NFL teams have Georgia's exactly. uh, let's see a, a team that can move the ball, but commits crucial turnovers. Oh, wait, that sounds a lot like the Stanford Cardinal and, yeah. what, and what's been really afflicting them uh, through their first three games of the season to this point. Your overall thoughts on, 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 on what you've seen from Stanford so far this year. Turnovers have, turnovers have been a killer. Um, you know, and, and I, I like that the slow mesh is, you know, new and against USC. I was like, wow, it, it came to, to life and it's hard to defend. Right. I mean, you're, you're basically putting safeties and binds trying to figure out, um, you know, how to make it work. And, and with the way Stanford, you know, with, with the talent they have, and now obviously Smith is out and the right, t- is the right tackle still out this week? I think he might be questionable, yeah, as questionable. We say this. And, you know, there's not like a plethora of wide receiving talent. This is a way to kind of maximize what you have, right? You, you allow the quarterback to, to, to pick favorable, favorable matchups. Um, but again, you know, the finishing the drive part, the red zone is such an, obviously we know it's an important part of the field, but a couple of things you can highlight in the red zone, right? One is your offensive line, because as things shrink down a little bit, as the field gets smaller, things happen quicker, right? They happen faster. And you need your offensive line to really be good in those situations, right? The pass rush is a little bit different. Quarterbacks aren't dropping back seven yards, right? Eight yards, they're dropping back to five or six. They're right there. You have to, When you run the ball, safeties are closer to the line of scrimmage. You have, to, you have to make holes in the line of scrimmage to get your runners through those safeties, right? To get them past the safeties. And I think that Stanford's offensive line right now is just having kind of trouble doing that. And I think they have some, their left tackle is really good. Um, like they have some good pieces, but um, you know, that slow mesh, as a lineman, man, I just it's such a weird blocking technique. Like you're asking guys to not really block downfield, just like get in the way. And when you're playing better lines, I think it's hard to do that because what you're just stalemating people. It's just a it's a it's a it works obviously, it's works at, at Wake Forest, but um, and it's shown bits and pieces of working for Stanford, but it's not my favorite offense, probably. Um, as we mentioned, Miles Hinton, as we say this, questionable for this week's game at Oregon, the right tackle. Walter Rouse, the left tackle, also questionable as well. Really? Uh, yeah. He's, you're you're, you're good, down. Man. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's Stanford football. There are going to be injuries, crucial ones, too. Uh, you're down your starting offensive tackles, as the Cardinal were against the Huskies from the middle of the first quarter when Rouse went down. They didn't come in with Hinton uh, until the rest of the – until the, uh, Rouse came in in the second half. But – you know, you're down, you're starting offensive tackles as an old, as an old offensive lineman yourself. Yeah. How does that affect the line and yeah. how does that affect 
the offensive coordinator's approach to how they approach their game plan and what they need to do calling plays going forward in, in that situation? You know, it's a really good question because people have a hard time with this um, kind of content of, of helping offensive linemen, right? And that's typically done in game planning, right? Like you have a game plan for that and you choose the weeks you do that. And you say, okay, this week we're going to have a running back. This week we're going to have a tight end. We're going to do this and that. It's hard to add that on the fly in the middle of a game because you've specifically game planned to do certain things, right? And, and what happens is when, when those backs and tight ends aren't used in, in the chipping process and the protection process, they're used in route concepts, right? So you have that planned into the game. Okay, we're going to have the running back. It's going to be part of this route concept, the tight end. It's hard to just be like, okay, never mind, tight end, you stay in. And now this three-man concept that we came up with is thrown out of the playbook, right? Like you, so it's hard to make those, those pieces adjust. Also, too, when you have two guys out, it's hard to protect two. One, you could you protect one guy, left tackle, right tackle. Protecting two guys, we have three man routes. You're never gonna you're never gonna move the ball in college football three man routes on third and eight. So you just have to you force the ball early. You hope you know you 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 hope you run the ball well, and you just try to 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 kind of piece it together. But there's not a real easy fix where you're saying just like oh yeah, um, just just do this and it'll be better. It's hard to 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 do that on the fly. And I think fans always kind of get that wrong when they yell, just, just, just have the running back. It's not, it doesn't work quite like that. Let's get back to the Oregon ducks uh, for a second or so. Uh, Bo Nix coming in from yeah. Auburn and already doing some things that, that he had not really done uh, during his time uh, down, down in Auburn. Uh, your thoughts on Nix and your initial impressions of yeah. the Oregon offense and maybe some differences that you've noticed from last year to this. Yeah, so Bo Nix um, is doing some good things. He still had, you know, the, the, the interception on Saturday was horrendous and it was bad. Even though the read before that, he made, he made the wrong read too. On the, they ran the same play twice, which I don't mind. I mean, you have different options on these plays. It's not like you run a play with just one option every time. Um, a couple of things of what they're doing that really, I think, is helping Bo Nix out a lot. Um, Oregon has really fast wide receivers. And they're saying, you know what, guys? We have better matchups. Let's let our guys run. And they're doing a bunch of play action pass, but they're also doing play action pass where they move the pocket. So, you know, they, you know, they, they fake, you know, they're going to hand off the ball to the left and they let Bo trail out to the right. And he just has a ton of time. And that time allows those wide receivers to just run as fast as they can down the field. And Bo's got a good arm. He's a five-star kid, man. Yeah. He's just letting it fly. And so they're giving Bo basically like, Hey, you have one read, right? You either, you read the safety if he comes down, you throw the post. If he stays high, you 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 throw the deep, uh, you know the 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 corner, twenty five yards uh, to a tight end, and we're gonna roll you out of the pocket so you have a very clear view of everything. Boom, here you go, buddy. And he's doing really good with that. Now, of course, he did well in fourth down and and, and kind of that two minute drill as well. But again, what they're doing is smart. They're they're either doing the play action pass really right, kind of that that idea, or spreading everyone out and saying, okay, okay we're gonna spread everyone out. Here's the defense, Bo. Like it's out, it's there. Because when you're in empty and empty for an offense, right? Five, five guys, five receivers out. Defense has to declare themselves. They have to show what they're going to do. And most college defenses aren't good enough to show too high and rotate to one high against empty. Like you, you show, you show what you do, and then it lets Bo know man zone, two high, one high, and here you go. And they're doing that as well. So they're kind of those doing those two concepts of. We're going to have easy play action concept reads and we're going to spread everything out. And it's allowing Bo to really have play with high efficiency. Plus 
The offensive line is really good. No sacks allowed this season. Number one in pressure rate so far this year. And the Cougs entered last weekend with 14 sacks. And Knicks was barely touched. So all those things are playing well. Plus, we have four running backs over, averaging over five yards a carry. So we're, we're playing good on offense right now. Things are flowing very well. And it was a question of mine. We have a 32-year-old first-time offensive coordinator um, playing with a quarterback who has a reputation of being very up and down. So I feel very good about where our offense is at right now. Let's flip it over to the other side of the ball. What's your uh, what's your sense of what the strength is defensively uh, for the Ducks to this point? And they're going to be about DJ Johnson, who got called for that questionable targeting penalty um, against the Cougs. How could that potentially affect things? Well, yeah, that was a terrible. The targeting penalty is just the targeting thing in college football just bothers the heck out of me. Like, we just don't use any sort of any sort of common sense, right? Like, you have in that certain play, Cam Ward was now a runner, right? He was running out of the pocket. You have a, a defensive end who is trying to tackle him. He dove after Cam Ward, and yeah, sure, the top of his helmet hit him in the chest. And so, so be it. Like, what do you want this guy to do? Yeah. The game is played at full speed. It's played fast. It's not played on super slow-mo. He didn't hit him in the head, right? Avoided head contact. He didn't really launch himself. He just tackled him with his head, hit his chest. Like, that's football, man. That's what this game is. Why are we throwing guys out for that? Um, so Oregon has a couple issues. One um, is the pass rush just really hasn't been that good. It was better this past weekend against mm -hmm. uh, Washington State, um, and that allows uh, really a bunch of third down conversions. I think Oregon, I saw today, is 128th in the country on third down defense. Uh, not very good, obviously. Um, and our secondary opposite of Christian Gonzalez is kind of the way teams are going. We were saying we're not throwing a zero. We're going the other side, and we're going to try to find – some success there. I feel like our run defense is, is pretty good. That's kind of our, our strong suit. And teams have tried to avoid that because, you know, with our linebackers in the middle, I think you want to avoid rushing the ball in between uh, kind of the B gaps. So a lot of teams are going to try to find those edges, those screens, get guys in space. We tackle fairly poorly as well. Um, So that's where, you know, we even, you know, if you're Stanford, you think to yourself, okay, you know, let's try to score a bunch of points because uh, their defense is the vulnerable part of their team. And maybe that brings even more to the four Casey Filkins, perhaps uh, going coming out of the slot and doing some things um, in, in that respect. A couple last things here for you. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's widen the shot back out to the Pac-12 uh, entirely here. Uh, does the Pac-12, as of right now, on the driver's seat for the conference hinge on USC-Utah on October 15th? Or how close is Oregon potentially to being in that mix by the end of it? Or maybe even Washington right now? Um, well, I guess, I guess the question is, right, like, are we talking about playoff? Yeah, I mean, the, the best option is probably USC with their schedule, but they're going to lose to Utah. I, uh, I, I firmly believe that in a couple of weeks. But then they might, you know, they might play them again or they might play Oregon and have a chance to win the Pac-12. Their, their turnover luck has just got to end at some point. I don't know when that is. I mean, they're plus 14 in turnovers right now. They've recovered all seven fumbles that have happened on the field, whether they've fumbled or whether the other team has fumbled. Um, that's just not going to continue all year. But the issue is that they don't play many teams this season that can take advantage of that, right? And the Beavers are one of them, and the Beavers just didn't do it. Um, so I think USC has the potential to, to be that team. You know, Washington, they played a pretty boring schedule so far. Like, I just don't know what they are. They're very good on offense. We, we get that. Um, they go to UCLA Friday night. I wouldn't be surprised if the Bruins won that game. It wouldn't surprise me. But Washington's schedule sets up pretty well for them uh, to be able to, to make that that push. I think, to me, the, the, the overriding thing that I've noticed after a month is we're better at football this season in our conference. Yeah. We just are. Um, we've upgraded our coaching staff, right? Lincoln Riley, Jake Dickert, 
Dan Lanning's doing a good job, right? Uh, probably uh, uh, Kalen DeBoer, right? We've upgraded with with the transfer portal at quarterback. We, what do we got? We got uh, USC, Oregon, Washington, Washington State, Cal, um, Utah. If you want to include Cam Rising, Jaden Delora, Emory Jones, like we've we've upgraded coaching and personnel, and we're playing better football now. Yeah, I would have loved for Utah to win Week One. I would have liked for Oregon to be competitive, but the rest of our conference, we like we beat the Mountain West this year. We've been BYU so far this year. Like we've done our job of just being better out of conference. So I think to me, our conference is very competitive at the top. Um, and it's most competitive it's been in, in quite a few years. Yeah. And it should be a whole lot of fun to see what happens in the weeks ahead. Looking forward to seeing what Washington finally does on the road. That'll be yes. nice. And USC, they never leave Southern California in the state of November. I think that could be very, be very, uh, uh, very favorable to them. Jeff, as we wrap this up, look, you're on the East Coast, so this game is going to be on past your bedtime, an 11 Eastern kickoff on Saturday night. Um, how can Stanford come away with this one in your mind? Keys to victory for the Cardinal um, as, as it stands for you. Just being Stanford pretty much works for most for the most part. Um you know, the, the last time Oregon lost at home was the Verdell fumble game. That's the last time we've lost at home, 2018 to Stanford. So, um, you know, I think that if you can force Bo Nix into being bad Bo Nix, that's a good way to do it. But I just don't know if your defense can, can do that, right? I just, and that's the problem with, even against USC, like they just ran by you guys. Oregon has the same athletes. Like Oregon can call, call those plays and say, hey, we're just going to have our guys run further than your guys. And we'll throw it as far as we can and make those plays. Um so if you don't turn the ball over, though, if you make this a shortened game, your offense continues to, to control the ball um, and do the right things. You can make this a, a closer game in the fourth quarter, a one-score game, and then anything happens, right, in college football if you keep it close. But if you let the Oregon offense kind of get get rolling here, I think you're being in for a lot of trouble. So that's kind of the formula, I think, is just offensively keep the ball away from Oregon, make them work really hard to, 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 to not kind of have big plays on offense, and that's the way it'll work. But I, I think, you know, I like Demar Cristobal, and I, I do. I like him as a coach. Obviously, struggling in Miami just right now, but we went to Rose Bowl. We won, we won a Rose Bowl. He's a good football coach, but we always sort of played down to teams, right? And we always just like didn't. And so far this year, at least against BYU, Eastern Washington, we we didn't do that. Even again, Washington State, as I mentioned earlier, like we were fine. We just didn't play well in the red zone. And so I'm hoping that in this game that trend continues, right? We're better than Stanford. Everywhere except probably quarterback, right? And in this offense, I'm not even sure Tanner McGee would be as good as Bo Nix. That everywhere else, we're better. Like we should win this game. We should blow out Stanford. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I we should do all those things because we are the better team. And that's what better teams do. When you want to be a championship caliber team, you're Georgia, you're Michigan, you're Ohio State. You blow out the bad teams on your schedule. And sorry, but Stanford's not good right now. Haven't been playing very well to this point. But you know what? Weird things happen. I know. Stanford it's, and a, it's a nightmare game too. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna, like I'm gonna watch the first quarter probably, fall asleep at 11:45 <laughs> and wake up and the score is gonna be nothing like I pictured in my head. It's gonna be like, I'm like, oh my god, what happened here? <laughs> well, don't take this personally. I hope your Sunday morning gets a bit ruined by the result on on Saturday. And, and I, 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 I ditto. <laughs> Jeff Schwartz, you hear him all the time on Pac-12 Radio. You see him on Fox Sports, and he's a fantastic follow on Twitter as well. That's uh, at Jeff Schwartz, and that's Jeff with a G. Thank Jeff, you. thanks a bunch. Appreciate the time. Uh, best of luck to you, 
reasonable luck to the Ducks this weekend. We'll see what happens. We'll talk again soon. Thanks a bunch. Let's Appreciate just, the no, time. We, we can both root for everyone staying healthy. How about yes. that? We have a joint yes. interest in everyone staying healthy this weekend. Uh, thank you. Go Ducks. I was, uh, glad to be on with you. Our thanks again to Jeff Schwartz for spending some time with us. And uh, that was that was that was a fascinating answer, I thought, on what you do when you're down both your offensive tackles. You know, Stanford down one heading into the Washington game, then lost their other one midway through the first quarter. What happens for the line? What happens to the play caller? How do they need to adjust? I, I really thought that was a, a, a fascinating answer there, and that it's not just quite as simple as, okay, well. Have get more help on the pass protection side of things by you know keeping guys more guys in the block and 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 maybe having your tight end chip guys. Well, you know you can do that when you're down one tackle, right? Keeping a running back, have your tight end chip block, but you can't do that when both tackles are out at the same time. It's a little difficult to do. So really appreciated uh, Jeff's thoughts on that and everything else up and down the. Uh, up and down the Pac-12. You can tell he's an old Oregon duck, can't you? <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. That That's part of what uh, makes this uh, series what has been uh, one of the more premier ones, certainly in Pac-12 football. Division's no longer a thing, obviously, but, uh, you know, the North pretty much ran through either Stanford or Eugene for much of the time that the Pac-12 North and South divisions were a thing. So really glad that uh, Jeff could uh, spend some time with us um, in that uh, respect. And uh, boy, you know, maybe this means uh, more, more of a more of a quick rhythm passing game uh, for Stanford. And let's 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 kind of get into some keys and some things that I'll be watching here uh, late into Saturday night. I got a volleyball match to call noon on Sunday as well. After this, <laughs> I don't think I'm gonna get a whole lot of sleep on Saturday night. That's fine. It is what it is. But keys for Stanford versus Oregon on Saturday night. Let me start defensively, which is where Stanford needs to make the most consistent strides. We've seen some plays here and there. Many of them, unfortunately, have come in the second half when games have been well decided, both against USC and against Washington. And the defensive line, which was David Shaw's biggest question mark coming into the season, in some ways, maybe still a question mark now after three weeks of play, three games of play for Stanford. During his Tuesday press conference, I asked David Shaw for his thoughts on how the Cardinal defensive line has fared and how they've played to this point in the season. I would say they've been solid. Um, I wouldn't say exceptional. I wouldn't say terrible. Um, I think we've been solid. We've mixed up our front a little bit. We had a little bit more movement, um, done some you know, nickel uh, uh variances um on our fronts which i think have helped as well i have that david bailey had a couple of big time pass rushes this game you know one was debatable on whether or not it was a holding call uh, but but really um is really coming along Aaron armitage you're starting to see him play more um, he's got a lot more to give uh, we believe he's got a high ceiling uh, but uh, anista cosmo who's played well um, stephen heron's probably been our most productive edge edge player um you know, so there's there's things that are happening that we're we're just watching and and pushing our guys, um, but we do need to put more pressure on the quarterback. We can be better than we have been against the run. Um, there are are spots where we've had some three and outs. We've gotten we've stopped them, but we've been good on third downs. Um, we've given up too many explosive plays. Um, if we need to get more pressure on the quarterback, and I think we can play better, um, but I think we've been solid on the defensive side. Um, Offense has to help us, but we can also play better. That's David Shaw, solid, but 
not excellent and not terrible. And you'll also notice how David Shaw turned a question about the defense's performance into a slight answer about the offense and its propensity uh, to commit turnovers. And and yes, that is correct. Uh, the, 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 the plus 11 or the, or the 11 turnovers committed by Stanford offensively and the one turnover gained by Stanford defensively, those things are working in concert perfectly together. So, yeah, I, I see how he's kind of bringing those things and equating them on the same level, even even though the question was about the defensive line. Now, is there enough faith that the Stanford defense at this point can force those turnovers? I don't know. I don't know. And, you know, we've, he mentioned that they've, 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 they've run with some different alignments up front. We saw this against Washington. Uh, we saw that we saw them run with three down linemen at points against the Huskies and certainly the adjustment that they made at halftime against USC uh, running with one down lineman and three edge guys. Uh, and of course, the, the normal two down linemen and two uh, edge rushers um, on the field for Stanford with three or two linebackers backing them up, uh, depending upon whether Stanford is in nickel or not. So Stanford's defensive line still very young overall, still very inexperienced. Playing solid, probably from an assignment standpoint, but certainly from a production standpoint, need to see a lot more from that unit going forward. And I think it would help out a lot if Stanford was able to set and contain the edge. That's something that really went awry for Stanford against Washington. That outside edge run was there for the Huskies anytime they wanted it. And I don't think that Stanford against FBS competition this year has to this point necessarily done a consistent job of setting the edge of keeping guys from getting outside and maybe funneling them back inside where linebackers are waiting. We haven't really seen that to this point this season. Also, I wouldn't mind seeing a bit more risk taken and a bit more blitz, and we hinted at this a bit earlier um, in the show, saw some of it with more guys being brought up to the line of scrimmage from the secondary to help things out. And to help put pressure on the backfield, we saw that at points in the second half against Washington. Heck, I wouldn't mind seeing more of that. Maybe even at times much more of that earlier in the game this time around against Oregon. On the offensive side of the ball, with the tackle situation potentially being what it could be, as unsettled as it might be with the statuses of both um, Miles Hinton at right tackle and Walter Rouse on the left side, uh, up in the air, as I say this on, on early Thursday afternoon. You know, you might need to quicken up the passing game a little bit, get guys in space. And I think this is potentially where Casey Filkins could, could really help prove his worth, more so than normal. Look, he's going to be the feature back. He'll get his share of carries, I would imagine, on Saturday. But I really think that his worth could really be proven, especially based on some things that Jeff told us about the Oregon defense and some things it might need to shore up. Get him in space. Let him make shifty moves. We've already seen what Philkins can do as a receiver, bailing Stanford out on a couple of instances, especially early in the game, making key catches on third downs and moving the chains. We've seen that. He was able to do that against the Huskies last week. So Casey Filkins, obviously a key player now more than ever coming into this game, I think could also be a key in the passing game too. 
Now, of course, none of this matters if Stanford can't keep Tanner McKee upright. I mean, eight sacks. What, like five of them in the first, in the first quarter alone? Four of them in the first quarter alone. Not, not like that's really that much better, but, but still, eight sacks allowed last week in Seattle. Oregon's pass rush hasn't exactly set the world on fire, but when, you're, when both your offensive tackles are less than 100%, really anything is possible. And when it comes to keeping the quarterback clean, David Shaw says that, that it's a team effort. you got to keep them clean. You know, that's on everybody. It's on the, it's on us as play callers. It's on the offensive line and tight ends and backs. Make sure everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing. It's on the on the quarterback as well. And you know, we all got to work together because, you know, as evidence, you know, in our third game, uh, when he's clean and has an opportunity to throw the ball, can make every throw. Um, downfield throws were, were amazing, right on target. Um, the far sideline throw, you know, from the hash to the far sideline, can't throw it any better. Um, just uh, he's capable of, of outstanding plays. He's got a great cast uh, to work with, in particular in the passing game. Um, but you know, we got to gotta keep him clean. And um, it's on all of us uh, involved to make sure that happens. Yep, certainly on the line, certainly on the quarterback too, on the receivers as well, to be in the right places at the right times for hot reads. And Shaw, during his, I'm, I'm not going to play this, this this bite for you, but you know, he, he wasn't too impressed with how some things were called on some of the hits on Tanner McKee, especially potentially some low ones as well. So it's been on the refs to protect the quarterback and help keep him upright in, in, some, in some respects as well. But if Stanford can keep the quarterback upright, if Casey Filkins can make plays in space, if the wide receivers can win individual battles, which might be a bit interesting because Oregon's defensive backs a bit longer and a bit bigger than perhaps any other uh, cornerback crew that Stanford might face this season. And if the Stanford defense can put up some resemblance of any sort of resistance, especially in the first half, by setting the edge, Oh, and by forcing turnovers, too. That would be nice. And by getting after Bo Nix and forcing him to be bad Bo Nix, which apparently there was a lot of that in Auburn. Not as much in Oregon to this point, but it's there. It's there. And who knows? Hopefully Stanford is in the win column this week in a big, big way against a ranked opponent on the road. And look, Oregon a heavy favorite, and on paper, and based on how each of these teams are respectively playing right now, that's probably as it should be. But you know what? (laughs) There have been way too many times in the history of this series where the better team on paper is left walking out of the stadium going, man, what happened? We had that one. What happened? Will that trend continue this time around? We'll find out. Game is on Saturday night, 8 p.m. kick. And we'll talk about it on the next episode of the TreeCast, which could come your way late Sunday. As mentioned, I have Pac-12 Network volleyball play-by-play duties earlier on Sunday. Uh, I'll try to get that TreeCast uh, re- review show out to you as quickly as I possibly can. So it could be late Sunday, could be Monday morning. The best way to make sure you're on top of whenever the next show is posted is to subscribe. On your favorite listening app, we certainly appreciate that. That way, whenever this thing, whenever I hit the post button on the Believe posting system, it's right there for you and ready to go whenever you are. 
So subscribe to the show, download it, listen to it, rate it, review it, and react to it on your favorite message board. Tell other Stanford fans about it. And we'll, we'll keep doing what we do throughout the course of the season, breaking down Stanford football and breaking down Stanford athletics better than anybody in the audio space. Special thanks to our guests once again, Stanford defensive back Patrick Fields and Jeff Schwartz, former NFL offensive lineman, former Oregon Duck, in case you couldn't tell from our conversation, and current co-host of Pac-12 Today on Pac-12 Radio on Sirius XM at 373. I've been a guest on his show a few times over the years. Glad Jeff could take time out and return the favor. Biggest thanks, of course, goes out to you for joining us and checking us out on the show. Don't drink and drive. If you do, you're the dumbest person on the planet. Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay sane. Talk to you next time on the TreeCast with Troy Clarity, presented by Bet Online, and right here on the Believe Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.